Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. It's Jen. And Tim. And we are going retro tonight with a favorite of both Jen and Tim's. Tim, do you want to tell the audience what we're talking about today? Yeah, this would be probably the third or fourth time that we've mentioned it, but it's come up in previous shows before, and so suddenly we're like, well, why don't we just cover the uh, single perfect season of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr.? The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. with Bruce Campbell. Yeah, uh, 1993, or I guess. Uh, 1993 to 1994. Um, yeah, the it was... lead-in series for The X-Files. Yeah, back-to-back. That was uh, Friday night appointment viewing when I was a uh, an impressionable teenager. So set the scene for us. It's Teenage Tim. You're, uh, well, like about 15 years old. You're real skinny. You're kind of angry all the time but yeah. not as angry as you'll become right yeah it only just i was i had my angry anger training wheels on then but yeah i spent a lot of time on the computer dialed long distance to get on aol um you know had uh you know three channels you know so fox was one of them that was you know the fancy new uh exciting network uh as as we covered earlier uh in um uh I forget which episode it was, but we we'd mentioned earlier that Fox's origins were very urban. Uh, yes. It was kind of the the wild young startup uh, opposite, like you know ABC and NBC and CBS. Yeah, uh, and it really was considered a crude interloper because its programming, as hard as it is to believe now, was considered very, let's say, boundary pushing. Yeah, I mean, Simpsons, that was, you know, the antithesis of the Cosby show. Um, you know, married with Children, same story. Mm-hmm. Um, you had In Living Color, which was a black sketch comedy show. Yeah, it was, they only had, like, two white people on it. Yeah. Fucked up. And I don't, I don't even know what happened to one of them, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so we're bearing the lead, we're filling time. Um, I just want to get right to the point. Briscoe County does in fact hold up it holds up 25 years later yes yeah oh my god as good as we remembered it because we would always evoke it on the show as kind of a high watermark of television for us in our formative years and the thing is with high watermarks of media from your formative years is that often you'll revisit them and you will have moved on in maturity and interest Whatever. Yes, that is that is a very delicate way of putting um, that sort of uh, creeping cringe feeling of revisiting stuff from from your childhood. Yeah, and for example, um, the other show that I absolutely loved in 1993 was The Nanny. Okay, Herman's Head for me. Yeah, I know people, you know, I never watched Herman's Head, so I can't say, but I have gone back and watched The Nanny, and no disrespect to Fran Drescher, who's a goddess, we all love her, but 
I mean, yeah, the hostess a- with the mostess. <laughs> I love her. She's Bobby awesome. Fleckman. She pretty much invented that character. So yeah, but- uh, the 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 um, the flashy little gal from Flushing Queens. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, but the nanny is a really terrible show because most sitcoms are terrible shows. Um, yeah, well, you didn't know at the time. I mean, you were a teenager. No. Media moves on. You know, at you know, I'm sure the stuff that we love now will look back in 20 years and be like, "How the hell did we accept you know this and that?" Even even like there's a backlash on Rick and Morty now. People like they're doing the same tricks, but like what seemed like really fun and inventive at the time, people were like, "Oh, this again. This is just cynical. It's just mm. like pissing in our mouths." Maybe it just went on too long, which luckily did not happen to Briscoe County Jr. But we'll get to that. Right. Um. Yeah, it was the lead-in for the X-Files, and the joke that I would keep, you know, mentioning just to establish the context <laughs> is I would watch, you know, Bristow County and X-Files back-to-back every Friday night and be like, I can't wait for the next season. It's too bad this X-Files show is getting canceled. <laughs> now, what I actually said to Bruce Campbell, my close personal friend, Bruce Campbell. No, oh, yeah, a, Bruce, yeah. It was, a, it was at a signing for his uh, autobiography, If Chins Could Kill. Yeah. Um, I told him how much... The show Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. meant to me that I loved it. I loved watching it. And I actually would watch the show and then, okay, cool, bedtime. Didn't actually start watching X-Files until like third season, Mm -hmm. I want to say. Maybe a little earlier. But, you know, so I said this to Bruce Campbell, you know, like that I watched your show, but I did not watch the X-Files. He was like, well, unfortunately, like the rest of America did the, you know, did it the other way the around opposite, but yeah i appreciate it very nice guy um and fortunately he's since i think he's carved out his legacy um safe to say um he's yeah, boy's done all right for himself yeah he's appeared in enough stuff that um that his image is kind of a like a yeah, nerd he, hero. Yeah, he's um, kind of a a, a niche uh, a cult character actor. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't just say those words because that's right. like a really easy way of putting it. But you know, that's my brain. Uh, I'm I'm sure someone would disagree whether or not he is leading man potential. I mean, he was the lead in the series. You know, he's the lead in the Evil Dead movies. Um, oh you my can god! Make that case I like for it. Evil Dead Two is like one of my favorite. <clears throat> movies of all time and like one of my favorite bruce campbell performances like he just really like turns it up to 11 <laughs> in the movie and i mean it's the sam raimi movie so everything's kind of turned up to 11 yeah like which is one of the which funniest is, movies ever yeah and one of the weirdest things too about watching briscoe county is that sam raimi is in no way involved but you feel like he should be yeah you're you're watching it and you're like where's ted raimi Right, yeah, it has that that same kind of madcap, um, freewheeling, uh, kind of funny action style to it. Yeah, it's it, um, and it's something which is it's a tone which has become more threadbare, like in the years since, um, and I think it did kind of wear on the show a little bit, like as it moved through its first and only season. But I mean, it's still it's still pretty funny. Um, like, I think that kind of, uh, winking self-referential, like, anachron- 
anachronistic jokes, things like that, those have been pretty beaten to death by now. But I feel like in 1993, it was, especially for network TV, it was still like a pretty fresh approach. Yeah, and that's what's really refreshing about this is because at the time you are getting a... um you are getting an earnest uh, presentation of these sort of anachronistic, um, you know, kind of uh, winking, knowing references in the show. But this is before it had become really like uh, self-congratulatory and kind of like cynical, where it's just like, oh, this is really tropey. Yeah, we're going to hang a lampshade on it. It's like there wasn't any of that like kind of you know postmodern irony to it. Where it's just like, yeah, this thing that we thought is really cool, we're putting this in the show and we aren't even going to address it. Yeah, it was before hanging a lantern on it had become annoying. It was pre-Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right, yeah. That's where it kind of got, you know, weaponized. It kind of got overdone to the point where it's like, the ironically, it's like the audience needs to be, needs to have things pointed out to them so Mm -hmm. that they can then be congratulated on recognizing the thing. Briscoe County doesn't insult its audience in that way. It just lays the thing out and trusts you're going to get it. Yeah, because every, um, you know, every joke that they make, which is anachronistic in nature, it's it's kind of, it, they it, it's do and they straight. move on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's played straight. So it isn't like, isn't this stuff so hokey, you know, like you're going to get with, you know, like a, a Joe Whedon joint or something, you know, something that's like trying to be kind of too cool for the room. Right. And um, the earnest tone is helped quite a bit by the fact that it is like a good guys versus bad guys show. Like uh, Briscoe is uh, he's a heroic guy. He's always doing the right thing. Um, he's fighting some like pretty ruthless villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that the show has been criticized for that for being well you know like by the the kind of people who say these these sort of things like you know av right. club writers and whatnot like oh it's like you know it's so earnest like it's very like oh like the good guy always wins and the bad guy always and it's like i mean it's fine if you don't like that kind of material and like certainly in 2021 you might be looking for something different in a contemporary television show, but by, by like 1993 standards, you know, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for like the thing that's, you know, like the opposite of the opposite of the opposite. It's like, have I blown your mind by how many like times I've twisted this, you know, stayed narrative into something completely unrecognizable. And it's like, no, just play it straight, just play it straight and do it well. And I think that's what the strengths of, you know, Briscoe County are. Yeah. And it, um, no, sorry, finish your No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, in terms of uh, kind of a straight-ahead hero with a wink, like, when you watch the pilot, I was reminded so much of Indiana Jones, and there's, like, a direct line from Indiana Jones to this. Right, um, yeah. There are so many... Th- one of the things, too, that I love about this is that it is jam-packed with so many other things that... Like, different kinds of media that you just love. And, and yeah, like, you made the point... I think um, one of the writers uh, worked on, um, uh, I think, Young Indiana Jones uh, Chronicles. It's a Jeffrey Baum and Carlton Coos show, and they both worked on the... Yeah, one of them has like some amazing writing credits, like the Lethal Weapon movies, for one. Yeah. Oh, shit. Jeffrey Baum uh, adapted The Dead Zone for Cronenberg. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a, uh, it's a nice feather in your cap. Ooh. He also rewrote the screenplay for Lost Boys. Yeah. Lethal Wep- The first Lethal Weapon was written by Shane Black, but um, Jeffrey Bohm wrote the sequels Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 3. Okay, yeah. And uh, then he wrote fucking Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay, yeah, that was... I I damned him with faint praise. He wrote one of the Indiana Jones... One of the three Indiana Jones movies. Oh, and uh, he and Carlton Coos, who... uh, Coos? 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 Coos is probably right. Uh, Carlton Coos. And I want to say Coos because I like saying Coos. I know. Well, (laughs) being one, you should know. (laughs) So his partner was this Coos, who's a regular fuck machine i'm talking morning night afternoon dick 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 uh that is not what like a virgin is about but i appreciate <laughs> your enthusiasm Ah, uh, yeah only only quentin can do quentin if we're being honest um just as well yeah Carlton so cues yeah. worked with jeffrey Boehm to develop the stories for lethal weapon two and three and indiana jones and the last crusade so through that partnership, they also developed this show, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which explains right. why the pilot especially is very Indiana Jones. And, like, this is a killer pilot. Like, it great is. fucking pilot. Yeah, it is it is incredible. And even knowing the, um, you know, the Indiana Jones lineage, it doesn't feel derivative because I think it brings so many new and interesting things from so many different sources that it feels original in its own way even if you recognize the influences it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel so much like um like stranger things that you know we've regarded before as a a pastiche it is like Mm -hmm. we you know we take a little bit from here we take a little bit from there but kind of it's a frankenstein where all the seams are showing Mm -hmm. i don't i don't get that from briscoe county i think that it has subtle influences that make this you know gestalt that is greater than the sum of its parts because not only do you have indiana jones you know influences in there i mean you have um like we talked about earlier you have you know the two um you know female love interests in this and they're kind of set up as foils as the good girl bad girls is kind of a james bond angle to it um Mm -hmm. there's an earlier uh wild west show um the wild wild west that has that blend uh, of robert conrad and uh the other guy or um if you're younger uh will smith and kevin klein <laughs> right yes <laughs> yeah and, and that blends uh westerns and sci-fi which is a natural fit according to the to the show runners they're, they're like we loved two kinds of cereals and the cereals were cereal cereal movies not breakfast cereal um and they were sci-fi or westerns and they're like these are you know these are chocolate and peanut butter put these together and you got a great show also, given the um, background of the Briscoe County character, he's a little bit of Sherlock Holmes. So you have all these great pulp heroes just rolled into one, and you got Briscoe County. Yeah, and because when this show came out, I was about 13 or 14, um, mm-hmm. so not the most sophisticated viewer. I mean, I was kind of in my fat larval form. I didn't shut up about the Beatles, like, ever. Um so kind of like the way you are now yeah but um (laughs) but uh i i have shut up about the beatles um (laughs) you said all there is to say about the beatles yeah but uh 
Young Me really went for the show in a big way. I loved this show. I watched it religiously. But the interesting thing about reflecting on my younger self as like a, a viewer of media is like how unsophisticated a viewer I was. And I can't say that like, oh, I was like totally ahead of the crowd on like liking the show and understanding like what made it a really strong concept and a great execution. No, I just was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah, it's got you, action and like, oh, there's an orb. That's weird. Yeah, um, you didn't you didn't know that it was a brilliant blending of uh, western and sci-fi and action and adventure elements, but your brain did. <laughs> yeah, and um, I, as a teenager of that age, like my even just my media interests were like barely starting to coalesce. Like I wasn't like the the genre fan that I that I am now. Like I don't know if this kind of helped that along because you know when I went to college and you know got in the science fiction club with a bunch of other nerds a whole bunch of them were like oh man Briscoe County Jr. that show was so great and they just canceled it um yep. of course I later lost respect for those people when they all went in a big way for Firefly um uh, yeah nobody's perfect the inferior synthesis of uh western and science fiction I mean, anyone who likes Firefly should have, their time would be better spent watching Farscape. I'm sure there are fans who have room in their hearts for both, but I do not. I have a, a cold black heart. <laughs> yeah, and let's be honest, the the number one Farscape stand is on the show, and it's Tim. Right, um, yes. I know of what I speak. Yes, uh, the man of superior taste. But the man of superior taste was also the, the teenager with uh, very good taste because he was watching Briscoe Candy Jr. and The X-Files. Like I said, I came to The X-Files kind of late, but did become a devoted fan of that show. So, you know, genre fandom wasn't far off for me. Like, my best friend and I loved it so much, we actually went to a fucking X-Files convention in Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, the, the formation of young nerd gen. There, there um, wasn't much for me, so I mean, I had to make do with a Red Dwarf uh, fan club in the Bay Area that consisted of about six people. Well, because you were living in, um, we'll say, roughly Central California? Uh, Nowheresville, yeah, that works. Right, um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, we were, you know, we were closer to LA, so, you know, we, we all had a little more up a few more options and also i think uh both of us had cable tv so there was that as well i didn't no um this show had a kind of a second life in reruns on tnt i believe Mm -hmm. um but yeah only one season um in spite of the fact that fox put a huge amount of promotional muscle behind that because they thought that this show was going to be the breakout hit of the 1993 season for them. And in a way, it is kind of... Um, it is kind of Jodorowsky's Dune um, of, of, some, uh, of some genre elements, not just because, you know, you see that kind of genre mashup after that. This is, um, this is sort of the, uh, uh, the saying that, you know, really Scott had about making Blade Runner... Um, whether you're ahead or behind the curve, you've got the same problem. <laughs> so I think Briscoe County, like, you know, as as pat and it may, may be, I think it was just ahead of its time because, you know, this is, you know, 1993, um, you know, 1999, Wild Wild West, the movie comes out. 
1999 is also um, Alan Moore's uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, right. That yeah. Also, 99 too is when you start seeing steampunk show up. So right. Briscoe County is kind of the it's it's sort of the prehistory of the sort of um, steampunk retro adventure revival, the kind of this like pulp revival. Um, yeah, what... I think it continued what Wild Wild West had started in the the late '60s because that show is also considered a, a forerunner of of steampunk, which uh, yeah, I'm, I won't hold that against it. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you can say that it is well a forerunner. It's you know about thirty years early. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that um, uh, about you know Briscoe County because you know that was the you know my first exposure to it is that because of that I have an infinite amount of patience for steampunk and even the Will Smith vehicle Wild Wild West. It is because they remind me of the show that I you know love so much as a teenager that mm-hmm. I'm like. Yeah, that's 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 probably what happened. You know, it's it's that same um, uh, Hudson Hawk justification where it's like we just throw a bunch of wild shit at you and just kind of bluster our way through it and be like, this is the world that we're creating. You're like, hey, okay, I'll roll with it. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely ludicrous. But you're like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll fuck with that. You know, I am usually the last person who is rehabbing um, major blockbuster films uh-huh. of the 90s. I'm a curmudgeon. Um, I know a lot of people love stuff like The Mummy and Independence Day and whatnot. Right. Not my flavor. I'll just say that. Not my fucking flavor. But Wild Wild West, while it at the time it did seem like a huge lumbering mechanical spider joke of a movie... If you go right. back and watch it, it's it's not that bad. I don't have a, a problem with it as uh, you know, just like a an adventure story. I mean, yeah. it's yeah, it, and it's I mean got... it's silly, but yeah, you know, I've I've seen dumber and like I re- I especially remember Kevin Klein being like really funny in it because it's fucking Kevin Klein. Yeah, Kevin funny Klein brings fuck. it. I mean, he is um, you know, he can do no wrong because of you know his supporting role in A Fish Called Wanda, basically. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I watch it for that, you know, Salma Hayek is in that, uh, looking great. Kenneth Branagh is chewing the scenery. And at, at that point <laughs> I'm like, Branagh. that's yeah. right. He's, the, <laughs> he's got like a, yeah, he's a, he's like a, he's like a steampunk cyborg. Yeah. Yeah. It's got weird machines in it and you're just like, yeah, okay. Why not? This is this, that kind of movie. I know what I'm in for. Um, yeah. M. Emmett Walsh is in a small role. Um, yeah, it's it has a lot. It it has all the reasons that I go to see, you know, what our circle of friends regard as a Tim movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's got all the elements that I like. It must be a good movie. It's like, oh, sweet summer child, you don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, the un- the unfortunate thing is that Wild Wild West is known by you know that Kevin Smith anecdote about right. writing uh, John Superman. John Peter is finally getting his giant mechanical spider. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, well, but, you know, good for him. Yeah, but I mean, because, you know, of the goodwill from Briscoe County, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I will go to bat for Wild Wild West. I will, you know, nod my, uh, my bespectacled, you know, cog hot glued uh, derby to steampunk. <laughs> you nerd. Right. Well, yeah, it's because the the problem, though, is that I think a lot of it, maybe it kind of, 
I don't know, creatively ran out of steam. Oh, God. (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, like, there are a lot of interesting ideas. There are a lot of ways of, like, making kind of, you know, retro Victorian notions of, you know, current technology. Like, that, to me, it's a fun idea. Yeah, it's just, you know, kind of, um... At this point in time, I'm really sick of things set in the Victorian era. And I'm saying that as a big fan of the Sherlock Holmes stories and the Jeremy Brett adaptation that ran on PBS. Um, I still love Sherlock Holmes in spite of like, yeah, you know, we know he's a misogynist, like white British man, but like I... And a dope fiend. Those, um... Well, hey, like, you know, our views on addiction have evolved since 1890. So. You know, you got to have a way to unwind sometimes. I don't know. With cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> um, injected cocaine. Like, my man was hardcore, too. Um, yeah, he's the Iggy Pop uh, consulting detective. God, imagine if uh, Sherlock Holmes had just been, like, blowing rails instead of <laughs> injecting cocaine <laughs> and hanging out on his couch. That's so funny. But, um... I still like that stuff. It's just that, you know, the Victorian era is a little threadbare. And I don't know if um, maybe the fact that the Western genre was going through a little bit of a lull at the time might may have hurt Briscoe County Jr. Because the way it went for the show was, like I said, it got a huge push from Fox. Um, they really thought it was going to be huge. And it did get an enthusiastic audience uh, with the pilot and quite a bit of critical acclaim. Um, the critics actually were on board for the show, which is nice. Um, of course, there are always going to be people who don't get it, but... Yeah, whatever. I mean, it. yeah, I loved... It, it's a great serial adventure. I love how different the tone is. And yeah, just yeah. remembering what else I was watching at the time, it just seems so head and shoulders above just, you know, in terms of quality and in terms of innovation. Yeah, so, and that's the thing, like, Fox really believed in the show, but the problem was, is that as the season went on, they just kept losing viewers, and it certainly had a very hardcore, devoted audience, of which, you know, you and I were were both part of. Yeah, and those people went on to, you know, read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and, you know, cosplay at Steampunk at Comic-Con, for what it's worth. You know, people did love the show, but it just wasn't doing the numbers that Fox wanted. Plus, it was pretty expensive to produce, so it got the chop. We only got one season of it. Um, They wanted to... Well, let me not get ahead of myself. Um, The point I was making is that it's really hard to pinpoint why this show didn't take off when, you know, it's such a strong show. And like I said... um, you know, the Western genre was in a bit of a lull in the 90s. Um, Sam Raimi, who had nothing to do with the show, um, mm-hmm. really tried it with Quick and the Dead, which it has its boosters, but... It's its I, own unique thing. I love, I love Sam Raimi, but that is not one of his that I'll go to bat for. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> a very good movie. Like, I'm I mean, sorry. You know, it's, it's got, you know... a. a Young and fashionable, you know, Russell Crowe. Yeah, um, it's, he, it's, and he is so good in it. You're like, who is this guy? He is going to be a huge star. And right. you know, then he did LA Confidential, and here we and are. And you're like, that's who this guy is. It's got, you know, our our favorite actor, Gene Hackman. 
mm-hmm. being being himself. Who apparently uh, was like a real handful on the set. I didn't know that. Yeah, like, uh, and in fact, I went back and looked at uh, Bruce Campbell's autobiography, which I mentioned earlier. He does have a chapter on Briscoe County Jr. And in fact, um, he describes it as his favorite role of his entire career. So I can totally a... buy that because all these characters seem so, like they're so textured and so much fun. Yeah, such that he has said like, you know, hey, I would do a, I, I'd do a follow up if you know somebody put up the the money and resources for it. And in fact, last year they did have a, re, a reunion of the surviving cast where they did like a table read of the pilot. Sadly, we've lost a few of them: um, Julius Carey, Lord Bowler, yeah. rest in peace. Um, Arlie Ermey, who played his dad, right. which I fucking forgot about. Yeah, but I mean, that is perfect casting as well. He's so good, too. Yeah. <laughs> He's like really fucking good. He can do more than just be like a fucking drill sergeant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, getting yeah, back the, to the, the, the good kind of cast. critical reception, like, like I said, I'm, have in spite of having lived through the era, I'm having a tough time figuring out why the show didn't land. Um, And I don't know if it's, you know, people were like, you got your Western and my sci-fi. Like, I, I don't know. It is. Yeah. It is the most like, um, baffling thing about us revisiting. This is like, why does, why was this show not more popular? Because it, you know, like I mentioned, it does have everything in it. One of the, one of the things that I didn't get to list, you know, among Indiana Jones and, you know, uh sherlock holmes and you know the sci-fi western is that they also you know they also pay lip service to like kung fu movies like you have you have james hong in there yes uh david lopan yeah 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 exactly (laughs) they're just like i know we had uh touched briefly on you know quick and the dead and also had you know great you know genre actors in it you know lance henriksen and um keith david um but oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But then this, you know, not only do you have, you know, Bruce Campbell has carved out, you know, a great career for himself, but you know, you've also, uh, you know, John Aston. Uh, yes, I yeah. completely, I forgot he was in this. Yeah, and and the the heavy that I feel like we we've kind of are building up to, um, because deservedly. Yeah, because like his portrayal in this, like you know, cast my impressions of him ever since and that is you know billy drago as bly he is forever you know this villainous you know uh leader leader of this cowboy gang bly john bly and like and i've seen him in anything else no matter how many cynthia rothrock movies i see him in i'm like oh it's fucking bly (laughs) yeah and this is and i'm saying this was absolutely no disrespect to the rest of the wonderful cast of this Mm -hmm. show with with the exception of that coos who plays dixie right Um, yeah you don't like her Billy Drago is, I don't want to say he's acting like on a level like above TV because that's not quite it. It's just that his portrayal of Bly is so menacing and makes you so ill at ease that it really stands out. Yeah, it is just, it's a brilliant performance of just this like cold hearted, dead eyed you know villainous cowboy i mean to put it in um modern terms and by modern i mean a movie that came out six years later he's kind of the uh agent smith you know of of uh of briscoe county because he just you know 
he has such a commanding presence and he steals every scene that he's in just because he just has this like reptilian nature about him that just puts is so yeah. off-putting yeah and he knows he knows when to play it kind of low-key and he knows when to ham it up yeah so i think that partly um like because i still have you know burned into my you know 15 year old memory of the what was you know the final scene of them finally defeating uh bly because i remember it being just like so mind-blowing to my teenage self of seeing this and mm-hmm. just remembering just in my mind how this character is just he was like a, a television boogeyman basically like the, he's so the, sinister yeah the just the um the stature of him as a villain in my mm-hmm. you know childhood memory at the time had made you know <clears throat> had had been been so huge that he you know cast this you know such a such a long shadow i'd say the only other one that even you know held a candle to that would be that you know lamprey man from the x-files but ooh yeah yeah um, see the only other one that you like you can you know pick out it off the top of your head but you know the episode that fucked me up the most of x-files was um the one with the hillbilly family that they didn't broadcast again because it upset people so much oh is that the one where they were gonna like kill scully like, i don't remember or i just remember like i had a hard time sleeping that night <laughs> was that where like they kept the mom under the bed <laughs> yes oh yeah that oh, was God. That. yeah. <laughs> oh i didn't know they didn't rebroadcast that one because funnily enough i remember that one vividly as well i guess i was traumatized yeah that one fucked with my head like heavy <laughs> i was so scared like and it's a brilliant piece of television honestly like i'm way overdue for a rewatch of Mm X-Files, like, and I'm not, like, I don't hold any anger toward it for, you know, kind of winning the race while Briscoe County, like, uh, you know, kind of went into the bin. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I still have all these episodes of Briscoe County um, to catch up on. Um, Now, how many episodes did you watch? Because I think both of us managed about half of the series. Yeah, I think I got through about half of them, and this is kind of to undercut my point. Um, my initial plan was, you know, as as I do with some stuff that I have to revisit. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't sit and watch forty hours of TV for you know for an hour and a half of podcast. Much as I Tim's would like, like to, that'll cut into my napping time. Right? Yeah, I I have a lot. And what of other... you expect me to just turn off B movie TV? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't I mean, think I, so. Yeah, I know. I got two eyes. I haven't trained them to watch two things at once. But <laughs> you're gonna turn into a, like a chameleon, man. Like right, your eyes yeah. are gonna move independently of each other. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be like a dolphin. I'll turn off half my brain so I can still watch TV while I sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't able to get through half of them. Usually, what I do is, you know, if there are highly rated episodes on. Um, uh, on like IMDb, like that I'll was pick my those system. Out. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, I'll start with the beginning and the end because I'm like, okay, the beginning that sets up everything, and then the end. That's where they finally defeat Bly. Yeah, because well, <laughs> as it happened, um, yeah. yeah. Like I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to blow that reveal, or should we save it? Uh, no. I mean, may as well get to it. Um, well, the way that I did it was, um, I. You had mentioned over text, you were like, I do not have time to watch 26 episodes of this show. Like, I'm going to watch the first one, and I'm going to watch the the last one. And yeah, I was like, you know Yeah, this is a Netflix where they do, like, eight of them, and you're good. Yeah, like, uh, this is a... This, this is, is real TV. Yeah, this is a full network TV season. Um, shit, you know, if it had been on Netflix, we would have gotten two seasons, and then they would have canceled it before the third. 
Right, yeah. Which, I mean, I guess that's that's fitting. You know, I still don't watch the rest of Mindhunter because I'm so pissed about them canceling it. As you should be. Yeah. I just, yeah, they don't have time to nurture anything worthwhile. Yeah, fucking, fucking bastards. But anyway, um, so my thing was, I was like, I'm going to take Tim's advice. I'm going to watch the the pilot and then I'm going to watch the finale, which is a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, the pilot is also technically a two-parter. Um, I ended up breaking that because, like, I did have a little bit of time. So I did what you did. And I was like, well, what are the best ones on uh, IMDb? And mm-hmm. um, I managed to grip my th- my teeth through a couple of Dixie-heavy episodes. But... Um, <laughs> it's not a fan. <sighs> um, like, I basically stuck to the episodes that were rated above uh, eight yeah, and I mean, an 8 rating is good. Yeah, and, you know, I realize that it's probably, like, stands going there and, you know, being like, oh, this is fucking awesome, because, right. like, I don't know if I entirely agree with some of the ratings, but it's not like I had a horrible time, except when I had to look at Dixie, so, you know, it, it worked <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, and the the way that the, that the season is constructed is that there is kind of a through line of, you know, his, um, uh, of his not rivalry, but is him being on the trail of Bly, but then it all is also episodic where it's like, you know, they blow in through a new town and there's some problem that they got to solve. Yeah. And like, he's, he's chasing down the individual members of, of Bly's gang for the most part. Which is such a solid premise for a series to be like, you know, 12 gang members. That's 12 episodes right there. Yeah. And they managed to get some pretty amusing, recurring characters out of these guys like you know so they you know they'll all have their own like little stories yes. and, and quirks um but basically the setup is uh that briscoe county senior had captured the bligh gang mm-hmm. um unfortunately they get the drop on him and they also long 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 story short they also come into possession of an orb yeah, that is the MacGuffin that they get right into, and the MacGuffin is already affecting the story. And mm-hmm. I love, I love what the orb brings to it because it is one of those things that it is, you know, it's it's kind of like the force. It just kind of does whatever it has to mm-hmm. when you need it to. <laughs> that's that's a good MacGuffin. Yeah, it's not yep. like, it, yep. and they even hang a lantern on it a little bit by having uh, Lord Bowler say at one point in the series, like, "I'm really sick of that damn orb." <laughs> <laughs> fair enough yeah well i mean he never liked it like as a character um but yeah it, it just kind of does whatever and then it's one of those things that's like here's a couple of things it'll do and then we'll figure out what its deal is later mm-hmm. and uh i don't know if it's just synergy or if it is you know briscoe county informing my creative process but that is totally the way that i run adventures <laughs> like that's the way I'm running Traveler right now. I'm just like, here's a piece of something. It did a thing. I'll figure out what it is later. Yeah, I mean, as the jumping off point for a whole season of stories, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it, it, it holds its own. Good for it. Also, the thing too that they refer to it as what is uh, unearthed like foreign object, <laughs> and the guy's like, look, that's too much of a mouthful. I'll just put the initials on it, and it's like. Ah, well played. <laughs> yes, that's that's the kind of show it is. Um, yeah, and the one of the strengths of this show is that they have a good supporting cast. For Bruce Campbell is the hero. Yeah. 
Um, you have, as we mentioned, Julius Carey as Lord, Lord Bowler, Bowler, who is a rival bounty hunter. And of course, like it's one of those situations where there's tremendous antipathy at first because of their rivalry, but they, as the show moves on, they, they develop a fast friendship. Um, yeah. Briscoe is also supported by his liaison with the the highest echelons of the U.S. government, a lawyer named Socrates Poole, that's Christian Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting thing about um, my reaction to the show is, uh, uh, did you have to read To Kill a Mockingbird freshman year of high school? Uh, no, I, I, I can't read. <laughs> you all, now you, that you've all heard Tim's horrible secret, yeah. um, you know why he watches B-movie TV all day? It's because he cannot fucking read. I watch the movies. <laughs> you don't have Yo. to read, you know? Yo, what up? It's Tim. I'm 42, and I never fucking learned how to read. <laughs> um, never yeah, needed so- to, yeah. Well, I read To Kill a Mockingbird in uh, freshman year of high school, and I had not seen the definitive movie version of To Kill a Mockingbird, which, of course, stars Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. For whatever reason, as I was reading To Kill a Mockingbird, I pictured Socrates Poole, like basically that (laughs) guy, as Atticus Finch. Yeah, that works. I mean, he fits an archetype. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because, like, if you watch the, um, if you watch To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck, I mean, like, it's fucking Gregory Peck. Like, it's an all-time performance. Like, he's really great. Like, you, the, he's the guy that you want to be your dad. Um, but as a teenager, I was like, like, I didn't picture this guy. I was picturing Socrates Poole. Yeah, give me a good one. (laughs) Um, but, uh, Christian Clemson is, like, a really good foil for Briscoe because, you know, he is like a fussy nerd. Yeah. Um He's a dork. Yeah. Um, but not in a grading way. Right. Yeah, he's yeah, he's the anti, you know, uh Briscoe County. You know, like he doesn't, you know, he you know, he doesn't solve problems with his fist, he doesn't, you know, carry a mm-hmm. gun. You know, he's yeah, he's the sort of civilized type. Um Yeah, and um you know, going back to Bruce Campbell, um the really good thing about Campbell is that, you know, he is almost leading man material, but there's something like, and this is not, you know, this is not maligning him in any way. Like, it, you know, it's just the fact that he's like, you know, he's good looking, but in a slightly off kilter way, you know, he's got like, his eyes are kind of close set. He's got that pointy nose. He's got like, it's you know, the chin. His chin. Yeah. Um, he's, masculine but he's not absurdly macho um and also he has like a kind of easy sense of humor like that's kind of how he's made his his bread and butter is being kind of like the funny male lead less than like the the serious male lead and it really does drive the show and i thought of this when i was reading a you know kind of a retrospective review of kind of stupid and shitty missing the point review from surprise the av club um from like 2014 where um they knocked the show for being another white guy saves the day kind of show but the thing about and you know obviously there's like a lot we could say about that but the thing about bruce campbell is that he isn't just like 
oh, like some some dip, dumbass white guy. Um, it, yeah, it's he doesn't like, like he blunder was... into things and just like you know tell people what to do. Well, and if he was like, that is so not the case. You know, if he was like too good looking and too macho, it would like completely blow the balance of the show. Like, because he's obviously like you know a man of action and like capable, but it's kind of that like little bit of off kilterness and like that sense of humor which keeps him from being insufferable. Right. Yeah, I mean you want that in a lead. Yeah. I mean, uh like if you just cast some like regular leading man type, like the show would not work have worked as well. Yeah, and and I think that's partly one of the one of the things that I noticed too about uh because Jane, you had made the point earlier about um how the show is filled with a lot of memorable minor characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that is the one that I would like to single out for, um, uh, for acclaim is, uh, is Pete. I don't know what oh, else he goes by, Pete but he's, yeah, but he's the guy who's really particular about his pistol, about his, <laughs> his piece, <peace>. his piece. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I see, um, like kind of this, like jokey, ironic, um, TV do, currently is that is what the the a club is um incorrectly criticizing about uh, briscoe county is that a lot of the time the people who are foils are just like completely powerless and it's something that you see joe whedon do a lot where it's just like they're always like one step behind they don't have that plot armor um where it's just like you're just a punching bag you're a rube you're constantly you know underfoot but um and that just seems like such it's such a grating kind of power fantasy to me that I that's it's partly what I dislike about Joe's work mm-hmm. so much is that it is so such a blatant one dimensional um, sort of getting yours back on like the school bully kind of thing. It's, it's like it, it comes from kind of this like revenge place that I think is really inherently mean spirited. Yes, that's a real. Yeah. Um... Sorry, like, do you want to finish your point? Because, like, I have a thing to say about that, but... Oh, well, I mean, yeah, like, you can say your thing about it, but the thing that I find so endearing about these minor characters, in particular uh, this Pete character, is that he's not a buffoon. He is overwritten with an abundance of depth, and I think that that is really amazing because this character doesn't need to have so much texture (laughs) added to him, but they put it in there, and even in, like... um. And, like, even the behind-the-scenes stuff, like, Pete gets killed off, like, twice, and he comes back just yeah, because they like love the Yeah, he's, like, the Kenny from so South much. Park before Kenny from South Park. Right, yeah. He gets, like, shot in the head with an arrow. He gets uh, <laughs> killed by, like, the, these, like, Chinese, uh, like, ninja stars. Um, and they, you know, do kind of address that later. <laughs> like, later, because I, I remember because I just watched it, and he's like, didn't you get killed by Chinese Death Stars? And he's like, yeah, well, that's the thing about Chinese Death Stars. You know, they kill you, but then an hour later, you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> God. But, yeah, it's that kind of stupid joke that they don't, like, even... It's kind of, you know, in the same way that, like, police squad doesn't, like, give you time to, like, you know... Ag- they don't like lean into like the camera and like stare at you waiting for you to get it. They just kind of toss it off. It's just a stupid joke. It's just like, yeah, it was a stupid joke. We said it, move on. Um, And that's, that's what I like about this Pete character is that he's not this buffoon. You know, he has his own kind of past and depth and dignity. Mm -hmm. And that I feel is missing a lot of the time from these like throwaway foil characters. That's like, 
you know, they're just some dipshit that always loses. Um, and yeah, like I, unfortunately I can't think of any examples of that because I don't commit to memory things that I hate. Um, well, you, you raise an interesting point and you know, that's kind of what I wanted to bring up. And I know I'm the one on the show who's really hard on nerd culture. Um, yeah. Keep in mind that I, I am absolutely a nerd. Um, oh like, yeah. Anyone who's seen you. Yeah, like I can't, like I can't get around that. I can't pretend. Um, it's just that having been a nerd for my entire adult life, I've had mm-hmm. a lot of time to get really sick of a lot of the crap in nerd culture. Right. And one of those things is something that you bring up, um, which is, it's like a real sickness in the work of Whedon. And it's kind of, I really feel like it's also what enabled him to be like a really malignant presence oh, yeah, while pretending be. to be yeah. like Mr. Woke male rah-rah girl boss feminist um yeah you're feeding fans that junk food that they don't realize they they want but is not good for them well it's that it it's that meanness it's that like you know i was a fucking nerd and all the jocks beat up on me but one of these days i'm gonna show all those fucking jocks where it's not it's not uh yeah it's spiteful yeah it's not it's not kind of a mature like a growing maturity and you know realizing that you know those times are past um and yeah it's not being the better man there's still like this axe that you have to grind and it comes out in his work yeah it's not it's not um it's not moving forward with maturity leaving the past behind realizing that the world is always going to have shitty fucking people in it and a lot of the time they're going to get the upper hand just because, like, they have the advantages. And, you know, right. it doesn't mean that you just lie down and take it, um, but you get a kind of, like, equanimity. And that is what gives you the power to fight these malign influences. And it's not just writing really puerile power fantasies where, like, a teeny tiny little girl that you know, you could break in half over your knee is like beating up monsters and, or like 47 opponents, which is like, uh, you know, that's like fine occasionally, but, mm-hmm. you know, like looking back at kind of like the legacy of Whedon, it's, it, you know, you really see how like fetishistic and like, yes, like how like, uh, you know, like revenge-based and punitive it is. Yeah, yeah, punitive, uh, definitely a good word to describe that. And I mean, I would go, I would continue with my analogy of it being junk food, is that you don't realize that it is, you know, it tastes good, but it is ultimately bad for you. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, that's why I like that there are characters that have, you know, that have dignity and strength in this show, even if they are kind of like joke characters or they're, um, you know, or they're foils. Like that is... That is kind of the the history that you see of, um, or the prog- progression that you see of Bowler's character, because he and you know Briscoe do not start out liking each other, and Bowler has kind of his chip on his shoulder about Briscoe County Senior because he was such a hot shot that you know Bowler could could scarcely make a living because mm-hmm. like there's the guy who was just you know knocking it out of the park all the time, and you know Bowler as a bounty hunter, a career bounty hunter, he's just like I, you know, I can't even make ends meet because this guy's you know stealing all my, uh, he's he's catching all my bounties. So he's got that you know that chip on his shoulder about it. Um, 
and you kind of see that about his characters that he's you know he's he's coming from a disadvantage and you know he's he's scrappy and he has to work harder than briscoe you know this is a guy who like every time that they're you know on uh on the trail of any of Bly's gang <laughs> you know briscoe is there because he is on a stipend like he's funded you know he has these five robber barons propping him up you know as long as he expenses everything he's not you know he's not any worse for for having tried bowler is doing this because you know he needs to make a living doing it like he doesn't have you know money to fall back on if he doesn't you know get these bounties mm-hmm. so you see him as this kind of more more desperate character which is you know easy to kind of make light of because he's at odds with briscoe in the beginning but then as they go on adventures together and as they go through you know some tough times you know a grudging respect is formed and it's earned and that's that's and they yeah that's partly why i respect bowler's character so goddamn much in this and they also kind of allow him to like get his bag like toward the end you know, because yeah. he's able to buy a house and, you know, get a butler and a crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's not, um, it, it, it is comfort food, but not in that kind of like sickly way that a lot of like nerd bait is today where it's like, well, we don't want anything bad to ever happen to anybody because like it, you know, it really makes me frowny face. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, don't want to see anything negative. Yeah. Um, and so you end up with like really uh, sterile saccharine... and infantile media. Yeah. Um, it's it, it it's earned. It's like now you know like Bowler's been through a hell of a lot. Like you know he deserves that house. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just the not only that but like the character design too of him. Um, and some other things that um, the show is is light. Um, Risco is, you know, he's the white hat hero. I don't think you see him shoot anyone, uh, even though he carries a gun. Like he's, it isn't like, cause one of the things, you know, looking at the Wikipedia for the, the wild, wild west series is that it got canceled despite high ratings because of concerns over violence that were of course unfounded, but you know, the ends justify the means, I guess. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I actually did not know that about <clears throat> wild, wild west was that, yeah. um, you know, it was hounded off TV for those exact reasons which is very funny in retrospect right yeah of all things um yeah <laughs> that's a uh, whole topic for another time but yeah briscoe is you know um as i said he's the white hat hero you know he he could easily just like shoot any of these guys at any point i mean he carries a gun why not but then even you see like in the in the early episodes like he's making efforts to save you know people who are trying to kill him like even you know to not only just like to collect the bounty it's like he's not just like shooting this guy cuz he can like even when he's fighting a guy underwater who tried to drown him he tries to bring him back up he's unsuccessful but you see that ultimately he's trying to do good things yeah to the point where like he won't even like take the opportunity to just shoot Bly when he could right yeah and um i i'd gotten off topic cuz i was originally talking about bowler um, because, you know, Bowler is, uh, a bounty hunter, but just like from his, uh, from his character design point, you can tell a lot about him, not just, you know, it's interesting. Oh, I know what I was talking about. It is a light show. You know, we don't see our hero, you know, gun anyone down in the same way that one of our leads is a black character and it is 1890. Right. And certain topics are not addressed. 
And, you know, the thing is, is, like, you know, there were, like, there absolutely were, like, black and mixed race people in the yeah. American West. Um, well, yeah, also I because, like, feel... the majority of cowboys were, you know, were non, non-white, yes. partly because being a cowboy is a tough fucking low-status job. Yeah, and that was something which has been sort of, you know, forgive me for using the the term, like whitewashed from uh, Western genre stuff. It's, um, you know, the movies which, the movies and TV shows which kind of like set the standards have a hell of a lot of white heroes in them. Yeah, and that is that is a successful whitewashing. This is something that you don't even consider when you mm-hmm. see white cowboys. You're like, of course, white guys. Yeah, um, but, you know, originally they were vaqueros. Yeah. But so, white people are too stupid to say vaquero, so they say buckaroo. Hey, close enough, partner. <laughs> hey, they can't even say the T in partner, so. Um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, it is It is never touched on the uh, unpleasant, you know, uh, racial uh, situation of, you know, the 19th century in which, you know, a um, a free black man is, you know, able to, to come and go as he pleases. But the great thing about it is that it then does not um act as a uh i don't know it it does not weigh the character down because it is just assumed that he is of course a character of the you know on the same level as you know briscoe county is yeah and it's not as though they ignore uh how the american west was built because the pilot opens with Chinese workers, on a chain gang, yeah. Yeah, in shackles who are, you know, able to escape through the, the power of the orb. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's right there in the pilot. Yeah, yeah. But that is that is one of the things that I uh, appreciate the most about, you know, Lord Bowler is not only is he, he isn't denig- denigrated, mm-hmm. um, you know, to you know, what was kind of the prevailing attitude at the time. I mean, hell, he has Lord in his name, <laughs> which already you're like, it's it's kind of uh, it. You know, the pendulum swings to the other end of it, where it's like, maybe is this guy above my station, and you don't realize it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it it can kind of you know mess with your head a little bit to be like, you know, this guy that I could just take, you know, I could judge him at face value and be like. Oh, okay. Like I know what this guy's background is, but it's like, no, I'm not Mr. Bowler. I'm Lord Bowler. Like, holy shit, this guy can buy and sell me. I didn't even realize that. So, so yeah, that is interesting. That his real name is, um, I think, in in a Native American name. Um, the way yeah. that he's dressed is very distinctive. You know, he has a bowler hat, which is appropriate. Um, he wears um, Union pants. He has the um, cavalry stripe. Like he was a cavalryman before becoming a bounty hunter. There's these, so much history to this character. These are some very good and astute observations, Tim. I, I was really taken with the show at the time. I hope to talk about it 25 years after it airs. <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah. The slow burn. Um, yeah, and um, kind of what you mentioned about, uh, you know, the the... The, a lot of care being given to the minor characters. Yeah. Um, it's such an asset to the show that um, it's kind of a shame when they start to lose the plot a little bit, like toward the end of its only season. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that it worked out was that um, 
the production was able to get a resolution for the Bly slash Orb story, um, but that did not come at the end of the series. Um, for uh, a reason that I'm like half remembering, um, I think because the status of the show was up in the air, it was kind of like, we don't know if we're going to be able to do a full season. Like, so let's wrap this up. And then, oh no, we got like a full order. So shit, we got to come up with some stories yeah. to like uh, yeah, and that, to fill that, it out. Yeah. And in the, like the writer's room discussion, they're like, oh, you know, we got an order for five more episodes. Now we got an order for two more episodes. And just the writers just being like, God, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like, so you so, can yeah, see, like, this is pretty brutal. And it, it does kind of... That's where the seams start to show um, toward the end of the series. Like, a few of those episodes I haven't revisited, like I said, I did view the two-part series finale, which is still, like, a fun ride, and it's, uh, it's a satisfying enough resolution of the show. I mean, you know, like, Briscoe and Bull are basically, like, ride off, and there's the implication that their adventures will con- will continue, and, like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, as a fan, that's satisfying. Um, the cheesy humor starts to wear a little thin in the final episodes. I mean, like, there's a, there's a character who acts like Elvis. Yeah. Uh, which is, like, like, I don't know how funny that was in 1993, but, like, in 2021, it's like, ugh. It's it's good in uh it's good sparingly it's good like in doses. Yeah, it's uh, and you know of course this is a show which derives a lot of its comedy from anachronism, so it's like eh, okay. But then um you know as you mentioned like uh you know the very um amusing character of Pete Hutter um when he's reintroduced in uh you know the series finale. Like, they lean pretty heavily on, like, gay and, like, prison rape jokes. Like, and let me be up front. I fuck with a lot of really offensive humor. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, I don't care. Like, you can joke about rape. Just make it fucking funny. I don't give a right. fuck. Like, giving Pete, like, an apron and, like, a huge, fat, black cellmate. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a joke about how, like, when he left the jail, like, oh, as soon as I could ride again, I blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, haha, see, it's funny when men are getting raped. Like, that's, that's, that's good shit. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah I, I read that differently, but I was taking this kind of a Rashomon um, thing where it's just like, let me tell the story the way I believe it to have happened. But, it's, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because, um, I mean, there definitely is, um, because uh, there a lot of the humor in the, in, the episode, you know, this is um, Pete giving, like, a, a deposition and, like, a, you know, a court-martial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he does play it up. Like, he comes in with his own Bible, and, you know, he talks himself yeah. up as, like, you know, like, yes, I'm a, I am a villain, and I've done many bad things, but, you know. Like, so, and, you know, that's funny. Um, but, yeah, like, the way that the, that the scene of um, Bowler and Briscoe coming to meet him, like, in his cell, it's like, oh, hmm. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, nineteen ninety three, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean I don't know. I mean I think that like they do earlier where they don't linger on dumb jokes and just saying when I was able to ride again and then not spending any time on it. I don't know. I think that's fine. I think that they spent an appropriate amount of time on it. But yeah, you could say it is kind of a one note it it is you know, the one joke 
to be made about life in prison. Yeah, and my thing is that if, um, like, the writing of the show hadn't started to get a little uh, threadbare at that point, like, it would have been, like, it would have been something that I could wave off mm-hmm. a little easier, but, like, it was, the the they were starting to lose their grasp of the formula at that point. And I don't know if it was because it's like, Oh, we need to do, we need to fill out the rest of the season. Like apparently at the end of the season, there's also an episode where like Briscoe and Dixie and one of the other characters have to take care of a fucking baby. Right. Well, (sighs) yeah, that's, that's (laughs) look, you're, you're making, you know, 20 odd episodes a season. You're going to have things like this. Yeah, uh-huh. and I, I know I know that like um and like I try to keep my point of view like I try to rein it in a little more with television because like I'm not a TV person. Like I'm a movie person. Like mm-hmm. you know, my true my true love is the cinema. I'm very fucking pretentious. But like you know, like with <laughs> well, TV you have to accept a formula and you know, this show is formulaic because like yes they're ta- they're doing a takeoff of like old serials like <clears throat> tv has to fit into an hour it has to hit certain beats at certain times because you're going into a commercial and then you gotta wrap it up when you come back from commercial it's like i understand that and for most of the season like briscoe county like does that like pretty well and the the season finale didn't like it wasn't like outright trash um you know yeah. it was just like Eh, you know the, the wheels are starting to come off a little bit just probably be, probably because of the nature of the production like not knowing like you know where it's going to end exactly yeah if you thought you were going to do you know 18 episodes and then you end up doing you know 27 or however many yeah it, it's like hey i know that your act is over can you do just like another 10 minutes and you're like what <laughs> yeah yeah so you you dig way back in your material that you're not really doing anymore because it's kind of <laughs> hack at this point but right yeah you need something yeah so if maybe there's a, another framework laid out then yeah it could have held together better and um yeah to, to your point jen uh about like the later episodes kind of not um holding up as well as the earlier ones did um i thought like when i thought because I watched the beginning episodes, and then mm-hmm. I watched the the last episodes, and I'm like, they're mentioning that they already defeated Bly once. <laughs> when did that happen? Because my, you know, my teenage brain, well, the last two episodes, the two-parters of them defeating Bly, and I remember, you know, the secret with the gun. Um, they actually do set that up. They make the gun significant. Like, they mention it a lot of times in the episodes, and that is also... You know, pro tip for the GMs listening is that, you know, you take it from the Alexandrian. If you want your characters to notice something, mention it three different times in three different ways. That's how your characters will pick up on clues. Otherwise, they'll get lost. And they do the same thing with the gun. They have multiple people mention the gun in different ways so that you know the gun is important. And it does turn out to be halfway through the season. Yeah. Because that's when that's uh, Briscoe defeats Bly in like episode 18. Mm hmm. Almost like randomly in the midst of a bunch of other shit. Yeah, in the midst of a bunch of like episodic sort of, you know, dame of the week things. It's like, oh yeah, then we wrap up the story with the orb and you're like, Hold on. <laughs> There's ten more episodes. What what happened? So 
you can understand my confusion when I go back and watch the ending of it and Bly shows up again and I'm like I have a particular you know distinct memory of the defeat of Bly just because of you know him being just such a snake and such a such a villain throughout this whole thing that to, you know to relish his defeat and all these you know plot points that had been threaded throughout the coming the you know the previous episodes that those had all paid off and then I'm like oh that actually happened <laughs> Yeah. episodes ago just like all right surprise 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 <laughs> yeah so i don't i don't remember the series quite as well as i thought i did i gotta be real like i told you over text i forgot 99 percent of the show yeah i remember i remember briscoe i obviously remembered bowler mm-hmm. i remember Bly, you know because he kept me awake at night and yep. i remembered comet and that's it <laughs> yes comet who was actually played by four different horses yeah, I didn't even remember the orb. I mean, I remember it was a thing, but yeah, I remember the orb. But I was like, yeah, the orb did uh, something. I don't, I don't even yeah, remember what it, it did. It did stuff. Um, I did remember how much I fucking hated Dixie. Wow. Okay. I hate Play, flames. Dixie on the side of your face. So much. Yeah. I and going back to revisit the show, my mm-hmm. frame of mind was, you know what, like. It was a different time. You know, it was young, snotty teenage me. Probably, like, didn't have a lot of use for romance. Because that's gross. Yeah, that's girl you stuff. You know, I don't want to see gushy stuff. I want to see action and cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. You know, I'm going to come to it with an open mind. And I understand that in a great TV series, a lot of the time, like, a good female foil for the male lead mm-hmm. is a godsend. It can work really well. So let's watch Briscoe County Jr. So I watched the pilot and I was like, I fucking hate Dixie. Yeah. Who does she think she is? Hate her. And this is, this is, this is the 2021, 2021 Jen talking. So this is my revised opinion on Dixie played by Kelly Rutherford. And I, I don't even want to knock Kelly Rutherford as so much. I mean, she has, uh, you know, since then, she's carved out a career in television. I think uh, I think she was on Gossip Girl, um, had a recurring role on that. Uh, so good for her. Um, this was a little earlier. This was a long time ago. But she is so one note, like especially in the pilot where it's, it's like, you know, it, it was as if they told her like, okay, you're the sexy one. So everything she says, like including... The double entendre lines, which could be very funny between her and Briscoe, are just like, I want to fuck you. It, it's so, it is so tedious and leaden. It's just like, okay, I get it. You're sexy. Jesus Christ. Do you do anything else? And apparently, Dixie was supposed to be a one time character. Like, she was going to appear in the pilot. And yeah. then they were probably, you know, because, you know, Bruce Campbell's a good looking guy. Like, you know, we're going to have him meet lots of dames because women like him. But right. they thought he and Dixie had so much great chemistry. And she was such a big hit with the fans that they just had to keep bringing her back. Ugh! I can and- understand, like, if you aren't on board with the character, then to have them keep showing up again, you're like, ah, this bitch again. Yeah, and I, and... Here's the other thing. Um, just tonight, because I had a little bit of time before we recorded, and you know, I want to catch the entire series. Yeah. I watched 
the early episode in the series, um, Socrates' sister, where we find out that Socrates has a sister named Iphigenia. Iphigenia, yes. Yeah, um, played by Judith Hogue, who was April O'Neil in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. That is who that is. Okay, thank you, Jen. Yes, and... Okay, because like, seeing that cleft chin, I just you know couldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I of course thought it was you know Jessica Chastain. Like she pushes everyone else out. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Um, and there is a resemblance. And I'm like, yeah. oh well, Tim's gonna like her because you know she's like a, a real good looking. Shut guy. up! Shut up! Shut up! Um, <laughs> um, but if you want to talk about chemistry, she and Bruce Campbell have actual chemistry like they have a scene uh they have a scene where they're tied up like you know that's sexy right and you know they have to do like some heavy breathing to kind of like stretch the rawhide and there's chemistry there like there it's like these are two very attractive people who like have a spark between them there's a scene later uh with them by a campfire and that like sparks are fucking flying not just from the fucking campfire i'm like jesus christ like i and i don't know if it's I don't know what is causing me to not see what the producers saw where they were like, Ooh, the spark between Bruce Campbell and Kelly Rutherford. That's good. We got to keep it. I don't fucking see it. I'm sorry. Like I just find their scenes like incredibly one note and boring. And in fact, like they ended up losing a character from the pilot. Like, um, John Astin's professor Rickwire. He had a daughter who was going to be a romantic interest for Briscoe. They dumped her for Kelly Rutherford, which yeah. pisses me off. <laughs> well, she uh, uh, she would be the one example of an underwritten character in this. She didn't have a lot to do, right? And it I kinda... don't remember how she impacts the story, other than being like, "Oh, this is my father, mad scientist John Aston." Right. That's and about it. Yeah, like you know, like Briscoe uh, uses an opportunity to kiss her as a way of like avoiding capture. Um, but yeah, like that. And, you know, I don't even remember the actress's name. She didn't have a lot to work with. But, you know, in the later episode with Judith Hogue, she's fucking great. I would love to see her come back. I would have no qualms about her, like, being a foil for Briscoe. Like, but, no. How many episodes did she do? One. They never did another episode with uh, Iphigenia Pool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in practical terms, they already had a pool. (laughs) <laughs> I guess that's it. But, but yeah, you're right. She had great chemistry with, um, you know, with uh, Briscoe. She has great chemistry with, you know, Leonardo and Raphael and the rest of them. Uh, so. Yeah, like she was great, you know, in her role. And it would have been nice to see more of her. There are a lot of great minor uh, uh, roles in this show. Not just her, but there are a lot of familiar character actors that show up. Um, you know, names escaping me. But, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking about how much I hate Kelly Rutherford's dumb, stupid fucking face. Like, she even reminds me of one of those Siamese cats with crossed eyes where you're just like, what the hell is wrong with you? You should have been drowned in a sack. I, yeah, either you're on board with it or you're not. Uh, and if you're not, then to have that rubbed in your face every time is going to get pretty tiresome. Yeah, and it's, it's, and, you know, it isn't even like a, um, uh, you know, because... There are a lot of times with shows like this where they'll have, like, a will they or won't they. I know people felt that with um, Scully and Mulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, toward the end of the season, like, what do I see? Like an episode where like they tell, they're like, oh, I love you. Oh, let's get her picture taken together. It, like, as Joan Rivers would say, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> well, I mean, she's got you know, her own thing going on. She's got her own way of doing things. You know, being, you know, a woman in 1890, you know, she's kind of a, um, a, a rogue, but also a social climber and being like the also ran on, you know, a privately funded bounty hunter that doesn't really play to her strengths. So like she couldn't be a part of Briscoe's world. She has to kind of move within her own world doing, you know, plying her trade. As You're talking were. about Dixie? I'm talking about Dixie. Yeah, no, but and that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with like, uh, you know, a real, a real dishy, sexy blonde who uses her feminine wild. Like, this isn't even like a, uh, you know, like a lib femme thing where I'm like, oh, like so the traditionally feminine women like wins the role. No, like right. that's <laughs> fine. You know, mm-hmm. it just has a lot to do with like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Kelly Rutherford with with the actress and like all the way she's written, where like she's really one-dimensional i'm sorry oh well hey i mean you know i i found you know my favorite villain in bly and you found yours in dixie (laughs) and it's one of those things where like as a fan like you really feel like you're swimming against the current because it's like oh this is a character and an actress that everyone else loves and you're just like i fucking hate this bitch so fucking much yeah well yeah i don't know what to tell you yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm alone on this. Um, you know, if you are a defender of uh, Dixie slash Kelly Rutherford, uh, go fuck yourself. I don't care. I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> the the Dixie dick. stands. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, uh, <laughs> man, it feels good. Like, I've been holding that in for 25 years. <laughs> I can tell. Um, what else have we not addressed? Because that was, I feel like that was, you know, what Jen had to say about this. God, I hate her the stupid series. little fucking cross-eyed fucking face. <laughs> I, you know, I like blondes. I mm-hmm. like sexy blondes. I don't like this one. I don't, yeah. I sound well. like Trump. I like blondes. I like blondes. I like blondes, Ugh. folks. But this one, eh, she's low class. I don't like her. I don't like her, yeah. folks. Not like my daughter, who I would totally <laughs> fuck. Anyway. I gotta uh, say, Ivanka's got some tiggle bitties. I, I never really stare. <laughs> I try not to stare directly into the void. <laughs> but um, have you ever noticed that her husband has lady eyebrows? I I hadn't. He pl- uh, I swear he pl- he has someone pluck them. It's weird. Of course he does. I'm sure he's very vain and shallow and stupid. Um, my uh, my sort of uh, takeaway from from Briscoe County is uh it has you know it has it is a western it has sci-fi elements it has the supernatural in it it has kung fu in it it has an elvis impersonator in it (laughs) it has um it has things from outer space it has time travel it has so much of everything at the end of this first season where can it even go well here's the thing um and let me let me make sure that I actually have this in front of me, um, because there there is some, like, uh, yeah, okay. So this is this is from IMDb. They did have thoughts about where they would have taken the show if they'd gotten mm-hmm. a second season, and this is what it says. 
According to writer Carlton Cuse, had the series been renewed for a second season, the main plot line would have centered around Briscoe County Jr. eventually settling down, marrying Dixie Cousins, and becoming a sheriff to a town populated by all sorts of characters with similar characteristics to many of the guest characters from season one. Well, better they didn't make a second season then. I know, right? Like, I remember, I was so disappointed when they didn't renew this show because I, I loved it. I watched every single episode, Friday nights. Yeah, I and I mean... I would have hated the second season. <laughs> right, yeah. And we wouldn't even be talking about it now. We'll be like, what happened? Um, but yeah, I mean, they even set it up because, you know, the initial thing that got the plot moving was, um, you know, Briscoe being, you know, hired to replace, you know, his father. And again... As an indication of, you know, his his pure white hat um, character is that, you know, Briscoe's hired to to pick up where Briscoe County Sr. left off. And someone even mentions it. You're like, oh, to avenge your father's death. And he says to continue his work. It isn't even a matter of revenge. It is about sort of like duty and upholding the law, which, yeah. again, like makes him just like this really, you know, virtuous character. But what sets what sets that emotion is him being hired by you know these five robber barons who don't like to be called that, which is weird how everyone just kind of refers to them as such. <laughs> but um, that goes on until you know they ultimately you know catch and defeat Bly, but then you know their new benefactor becomes okay. You're going to work for you know President Garfield, and you know basically do Cleveland. like Cleveland. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's like you're you're going to be the sort of extra legal arm of the government you know you which is great because it um resets where they are um but with you know a new foundation for for where they're going they they've ended up with the same dynamic with you know him and um bowler and pool it's just you know now they have a different person uh you know writing the checks and that they're all on board for it and you're like great we've set up you know a second season we've progressed you know but ended up kind of back where we started and you know we can continue on these same wacky adventures they can you know you can set up another um you know uh arch villain you can set up you know a villain of the week you can have them go into you know all these weird um you know episodic adventures and you know it all it all goes from there it all seems perfectly set up and that they had so many different genre elements in it that yeah you can do you know, a sci-fi episode, you can do, you know, a um, kung fu episode, you can do, like, a horror episode, like, one of the later episodes, I the one with, again, be, I recognized her because I watched Herman's Head, um, <laughs> you know, one of the the actresses from that, like, she is in what I'm watching, I'm like, is this a, this is a horror episode, just because totally it's so different from everything else, um, but yeah, there's so many ways that they could have taken it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have they could have kept on keeping on. I feel, but yeah, if they hadn't torpedoed it with that garbage ass second season. Oh press. god, <laughs> yeah, um, that's that would have been, uh, yeah. And and the thing too, I mean, I'm I'm tickled and delighted any time that you know someone is able to like inject sort of historical fiction into their work. Um, it is you know like uh, you know John Aston. You know, like inventing a, a, a rocket or like a uh, diving suit or like the introduction <laughs> of a tank, you know, like 20 years before World War One. Um, that I, I like that because it's sort of like, yeah, if this technology existed at the time, what form would it exist in and how would that 
affect things and that's a fun little thought experiment yeah and you know it's it's baked right into the show premise because um briscoe is set up as a guy who's always uh, how does he put it uh he's uh i think it's uh in search of the coming thing yes um, yeah yeah and- like they invent an airship yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and even Stu, like John Aston's character, he's like, "Yeah, I invented an airship and a way using uh, hydrogen. Pretty flammable, but I think it's gonna be big." Just God, like, and like it, oh, um, dude. <laughs> and I, I know I said like in the in the series finale that I found the the humor to it was getting to be like a little bit hack, but the the bit that absolutely murdered me mm-hmm. was um, when they leave the airship and. Yeah. John Aston kind of turns away and says, "Oh, now I can work on that loop." Oh, I don't. I don't get like it. he's gonna do a loop in the airship. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> it's it's one of those delightful jokes that catches you by surprise, and you know you have a good laugh. Yeah. Um, so that bit was very good. Um, there are a lot of fun things like that, and uh, now no, sorry, I know go ahead. a thing that I kind of wanted to do because you had brought up when we were discussing over text like how singular this show was at the time like how did this compare like to tv shows of the other tv shows of 1993 like it it really like stands out so i actually found a page where somebody um breaks down the primetime lineup from Mm -hmm. 93 to 94 um, for the major networks, ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC. And uh, I know a lot of you will be familiar with some of these. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to find a thing that compares to the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Because like you had other Western shows like you know, a very popular show, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. You mm-hmm. remember that one? Yeah, they do briefly allude to that with one of the characters' names in That's Briscoe. Funny. Yeah, yeah, like I that uh, I did not watch that show. That was not a show for 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 young Jen. Um, yeah, well, the same with like Lonesome Dove or something. Lonesome Dove actually is really good. Okay, well, I mean, I it didn't appeal to my teenage uh, ness. I mean, yeah, I was, sure. Like I didn't, I did, I did not watch it as a teenager. I watched it many years later because I was like, oh, I hear this this TV miniseries is is really good, and I watched it and I was like damn that was really fucking good actually (laughs) yeah and i'm saying that as not a tv person um we also have walker texas ranger Uh uh-huh yeah he Um, kicks people in cowboy boots that was the premise yeah and uh you know that is really kind of the the show that does what briscoe county jr would not do which is to i mean like yes briscoe is a white hat character but you know the the show was not afraid to be a little bit cynical about the United States and institutions. Right. I mean, you know, the series finale like has Terry Bradshaw playing like a psychotic U.S. Army colonel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, story there too. Like mm-hmm. there, there are th- there are things that can be done with that. And it's again like to couch everything in role playing game terms. It's like yeah, you introduce this character who is never like clearly one thing or another. Yeah. And you're like, well, you have to you have to decide what your approach is to this character. You can't just be like, oh, okay, they're just, you know, the stock army guy. It's like, no, they're a little crazy and a little overly ambitious. And maybe a little, um, uh, may, may they play a little fast and loose with their morals because of it. Yeah, and, you know, I really feel like that's not 
something that uh, Chuck Norris is going to be comfortable doing on a show? Like, yeah, like a moral gray area? Because, yeah, like, yeah. Briscoe County isn't lecturing anyone, you know, despite what, you know, the, you know, the AV club would have you believe. Like, you know, he doesn't, yeah. he isn't this, like, stalwart who just, you know, kind of, you know, steamrolls over indigenous people and moralizes at them. Like, he, you know, he's um, an imperfect, uh, or rather, I, I'd say that he isn't a, uh, a uh, singularly successful character, but you know he does have the strength of his convictions. Even if he isn't, you know, he, it, it doesn't mean that he wins all the time or he wins handily. But you know he does have the strength of his, his of his convictions. Yeah, like he's a good guy, but because you know he's played by Bruce Campbell, so and Bruce Campbell has never been a guy like unwilling to look silly or put himself yeah. in like a farcical situation. Like he will absolutely roll with it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like some days you're going to get your ass handed to you. That's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the way that you can tell if you're going to be on board with the show, like if you, uh, you know, if you have a problem with a show where there are many, many, many scenes of basically Mexican standoffs and the heroes kind of like glance at each other and grudgingly putting up their hands because the, you know, the bad guy's gotten the drop on them for the time being like you'll know if that show is for you or not like it's a show where guys take dozens of bare knuckle punches to the face yeah like just constantly like these uh like i hate to think of briscoe and bowler like in their 40s or 50s they would probably have cte um but it's a fucking tv show like that yeah. that's what you do in a western like there is there's gonna be like heavy heavy bare knuckle punches to the face like repeatedly mm -hmm. in a fight um it's not going to be like realistic fighting it's it's exciting um yeah well even that it's more like stunt fighting it isn't just like oh this is the fastest way to kill this person it's like someone's gonna get thrown through a window someone's gonna get you know the drop on someone else you break a chair you know. over a guy's head like yeah that kind of thing yeah but i mean it's more fun and cinematic yeah exactly and um this is this is kind of funny, like looking at the other struggling show of the 93 to 94 season, Sequest DSV on NBC. Uh, I don't like the water. <laughs> I so. actually I actually watched that. And I think like the rest of the American TV audience wandered away bored after a while. Yeah, that's yeah, it didn't make an impression on me. Yeah, but um, the other big hit shows, um, Lois and Clark, never watched that. I'm not into Superman. Um, right. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I'm, I'm aware of it as a cultural touchstone, yes. Yeah. Um, Saved by the Bell of College Years. Beverly Hills 90210. That was not a show that I fucked with at all at the time. Followed by Melrose Place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you're listening to this podcast, that pr those shows probably weren't in your wheelhouse either. Yeah, like not not really uh, my flavor. Um, of course, you had The Simpsons, which I was a devoted viewer of. Um, mm -hmm. Seven and seven thirty on the affiliates. Yep. For many years. Um, oh, there's your favorite, Tim Herman's Head. Yeah. Um, how long did that one last? Uh, like four seasons or something. Did it? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Oh, I'll be damned. And uh, also in Living Color, um, I did fuck with in Living Color. Yeah, yeah, and Living Color was great. Um, wow, Paula Poundstone had her own show. Huh. She Do... employ any kids on that? <laughs> <laughs> she kept it within the family. Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> oh, 
Uh, Hearts of Fire, R.I.P. Marky Post. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, wasn't that with John Ritter? I don't remember. Yeah, they both passed away since... Oh, damn. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, do you remember the Mommies? Yeah, I think it was trying to, like, counter-program to Home Improvement. You remember that show. I do remember Home Improvement. I did not watch Home Improvement, though. <laughs> I know everybody else did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, what else is it going to watch? Uh, you also had, uh, later on, the 9 o'clock block. This is what would be going up against the X-Files, uh, Married with Children. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a favorite. Uh, Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. She got yeah. an abortion, didn't she? Yeah, that's that's all anybody remembers about that show. There's right. chick who got an abortion. Um, Roseanne. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, that was a actually like a pretty groundbreaking show for his time. Yeah, that was a big deal. It's uh, kind of too bad that Roseanne is a big, an insane fat deal. person. Now. Yeah, but John Goodman. Has yeah. Done nothing but you know, spin gold since then. Yeah, un- unimpeachable. Uh, that yeah. guy, the guy from uh, True Stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> Roseanne led into Coach. Why anyone would watch Coach, I don't. I don't even know. You got me. Um, Craig T. Nelson, another right wing dickhead. Yeah, we aren't. We aren't going to do an episode about Coach. Sorry. No. Um, you also had uh, on Wednesdays. You had on ABC Home Improvement, followed by Grace Under Fire. Uh, remember Brett Butler? Yeah, the baseball player. <laughs> uh, that was a show where. Um, yeah, I think uh, because of her substance abuse problems, she kind of threw away the success of that. But uh, the one that I actually watched at mm-hmm. 9 p.m. on NBC uh, Tuesdays was the John Larroquette show, because I was a fan of his from Night Court. Yeah, Dan Fielding. Yep, exactly. Um, Dan, and Dan that, Fielding. That was, a, that was a critically well-regarded show that not a lot of people watched. Right, well... So I don't think it lasted. Um, and then, of course, uh, on ABC of Matlock. I don't think it was the target audience for that either. No. Yeah. Um, ooh, and then the 10 p.m. block, we get real edgy. We got Northern Exposure, um, a critical and fan favorite. I don't think I got that channel. Yeah. I, I was not. You didn't get CBS? Um, maybe if, like, we just did the rabbit ears and the wind was right. <laughs> Um, the other big controversial show of 1994, NYPD Blue. Uh, Dennis Franz's ass. Dennis Franz's hairy butt. Um, yeah, it's no homicide though. Homicide, oh, Chef's Kiss. That is brilliant police drama. Homicide but, is a really good fucking show. Yeah, because it's, it's character drama with the veneer of police work. Yeah, and then um, the uh, stalwart hanger on LA Law. Didn't watch it. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a big, huge hit in the 80s and early 90s, I guess. Um, yeah. Picket so Fences. Us, yeah, reading TV guide. Uh, Picket Fences on CBS, The Commish. I don't even know what mm-hmm. the fuck that show was about, even though I've heard of it. And then, um. That was, uh, Michael Chiklis. Uh, um, Bobby Hill did an impression of him. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's, that's what you're gonna get. I'll take your word for it. Um, so yeah, it so I show. think, huh? I remember it being good. Yeah, like, well, you know, it was 10 p.m. It was past my bedtime, so. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I think uh, we can say pretty conclusively that The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. was a real outlier in the primetime lineup of 1993 to 1994. Right, and since, I want to say, um, I don't 
yeah, I don't think you're going to see anything um, on network TV like Briscoe County. Um, it was a, a mash, mashup of so many different genre influences that didn't just um, use those as like a punching bag to say, to, to point out, you know, tropes and congratulate, you know, the viewer and jerk them off for like recognizing things that have happened. Yeah, you know, like as, the, as we've the kind of become like, accustomed to. Yeah, like the kind of boy isn't this shit lame now approach. Yeah, yeah, but instead, it, like it built on those things and it created something that was you know pretty singular and unique. Um, and uh, we didn't even talk about you know Comet the Horse <laughs> because uh, one of the things they mentioned is you know Bowler isn't um, Briscoe's sidekick. Comet is Briscoe's sidekick. Yes. And it is again to to point out how, you know, they'll make a joke but not really like linger on it. He has the same relationship with his horse as like, you know, in Star Wars with like Chewbacca or R2. It's yeah. like yeah, it's talking horse and of course like Briscoe understands whatever the horse is saying, or he thinks he does. Yeah, and this this horse seems to have a um a peculiarly involved intelligence which i assume that um you know briscoe probably noticed when he when he purchased this horse um again the horse or you know who rescued who right (laughs) (laughs) yeah comment as like uh one of those stickers on his ass just with like uh horseshoes (laughs) yeah instead of paw prints um yeah. yeah, again, it's a it's a overwritten minor character that becomes endearing. Well, of course, like this was catnip to young Jen, who loved horses. And yeah, being a horse girl. You know what I I realized like watching the show again. Yeah. Is that that color that really red chestnut with a little just a little bit of chrome, like the mm-hmm. you know not the full blaze, but like a nice like stripe, um, or kind of like a star and stripe. And, um, you know, like three white socks. Mm-hmm. It's the Secretariat color. Um, yeah. This is one of my favorite horse colors, and I think it's because of this show. It's, yeah, they're, the uh, roots of the show, you know, run deep, and their influences are, you know, they are, are cast, uh, they're cast like, pretty far. I literally commissioned a model painted, like, red chestnut three white socks and like a a small blaze yeah that's why not it's that's a cool a horse shit right there and um, well, yeah because i mean if you figured you know uh characters on tv archetypes being you know sort of modern mythology you want a totem of this character that you respond to yeah and you know i i just love that really bright red chestnut and as i said like the horse was uh billed as being played you know comet playing himself yeah. comet is comet but he was played by four different horses um the picture horse the close-up horse was named stripe and he did all the things like moving his lips nodding his head like uh you know pawing mm-hmm. his hoof um was, but, was he the one that broke the ropes when they're tied to the railroad yeah <laughs> so that would have been stripe um yeah. the horse that uh bruce campbell rode in long shots was called lead belly Mm-hmm. Um, I assume because he played a mean blues guitar in a. Of course, time. I mean you know. Well, oh, can you imagine like playing the slide guitar with the with the uh, horseshoes? <laughs> with a hoof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. You got the built-in slide. 
Yeah. So, uh, yes, multiple horses, um, but also a, a formative horse character for young Jen. Right. And also, too, like I was saying, how minor characters get their own little moments. There is a moment of uh, John Aston. We never bother to learn his character's name. Professor you know, pr- Wickwire. Yeah. Yeah. Professor, uh, you know, Emmett Doc Farnsworth. Hell, I forgot uh, he was in the fucking show. And I love John Aston because yeah. he also played Judge Harry Stone's uh, stepdad slash real dad in Night Court. Yeah, or for a real deep cut, he was Gomez Adams. But uh, yeah, right. um, there's a scene <laughs> for the Nick for the Nick at Night crew. Right. Yeah. Uh, like but I there's... fucking watched more Nick at Night than I did network TV, to be honest. Uh, you know, it was it was novel for the time. Why because... not? Like, where else are you going to see you know Laurel and Hardy shorts? But no, you know, the really formative show for me, literally at this time, ninety three to ninety four, was Get Smart on Nick at yeah, Night. I, I see fucking that. love Get Smart. Yeah. For me, you know, it's Laurel and Hardy and Three Stooges. That is, you know, just if you're a boy of a certain age, you can't not watch that. It's perfect for it. It's well, that's just, like, ideally, the, yeah. The Laurel and Hardy shit, like, holds up. I mean, yeah. there's a reason that people, like, if you go back and you watch, like, old, like, black and white comedy of that era, like, you will laugh your ass off. Yeah, it's great stuff. And, you know, hey, if you go back and watch vintage television from the early 90s, you'll probably that too uh but but just as just one thing that i wanted to point out uh, just a funny moment that isn't you know part of our you know bigger uh argument that we're making here uh just a moment between comet and john aston where they're playing chess it is john aston playing chess with a horse (laughs) but of course like you know comet you know moves his lips and john aston's like oh okay so you're playing a horse takes bishop (laughs) yeah Of course, the horse is going to call the knight a horse. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a knight, it's the horse. (laughs) But if you're a horse, you're like, that's the best piece, obviously. I know it was always my favorite piece. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, representation in chess is important. So for a horse, (laughs) it's good to have heroes (laughs) identify with. Uh, Uh, What a good boy. Right. So... A Bly gets defeated partway through. He gets imprisoned in the orb, a thing a MacGuffin I'd completely forgotten about. But just that scene where he also reveals, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm from the year 2506. <laughs> just like, what the fuck else are they going to put in this show? Yeah. And that isn't even as far in the future as they go. They go yeah. another 3,000 years in the future for a later episode when Bly comes back, and you're just like, what is off the board at yeah, this point like where a, the show... Yeah, there's like a naked chick from the year five thousand who drops in. Yeah, so I I I could go for that. I don't care what year she's from. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't care if she's a terror from the year five thousand. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty much uh, Tim's dating history right there. Oh yeah, I have terrible taste in women, but Jen, you know that. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that this. I have no idea what you're talking about, Tim. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, keep in mind too that like I'm watching the show, I'm you know playing the Ninjas and Super Spies role playing game, which is itself just a kitchen sink like ridiculous action game. It's from the same system that had you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that also has um, and a a fellow uh, podcast that uh, I think I've mentioned before, uh, Mega Dumbcast, that does just like a like an Asperger's level. Uh, a dissection of palladium books 
they, as I do, hold the transdimensional Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles source book in high regard because it is a fantastic source of just so many wild ideas. You um, know, we really need to be honest as a society with how much we rely on the heroic unpaid labor of the autism spectrum community because honestly yeah. where would most of us be in this age of like highly specialized individualized entertainment without the autistic community yeah without yeah without an, an autist uh they're doing the work but yeah like so he um i'm not even fucking joking <laughs> no yeah yeah <laughs> like, he holds no, it yeah completely yeah. like dead fan yeah one of his favorite books from because there are a lot of there is a lot of garbage from palladium um but it is all a particular flavor of garbage that if you're, you know, getting back to my junk food analogy from earlier, if you're a little kid, you're kind of tuned into that. You're like, I like this kind of junk. Um, yeah, so, it's kind of so yes. like how, like, as a as a 15-year-old, I didn't realize, like, how cringe it was to read those, like, R.A. Salvatore Dark Elf trilogy books. Like, for me, that, oh, that was, that was caviar, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just the sheer you know breadth of ideas that you're going to get about like, well, why can't I play you know a dinosaur who you know <laughs> is also a mutant and I don't know has superpowers? You're like, yeah, yeah throw it. Yeah, it's like you know you go to the the frozen yogurt place and you're like, yeah, chocolate and gummy bears and sprinkles and <laughs> you know raspberry icing and chocolate and caramel and you're like, that sounds disgusting. But you're like, I am a little, I am a child with no taste. This yeah. tastes brilliant. As a kid, you don't know like what a bad idea bubblegum ice cream is. Yeah. Then you grow up and you're just like, oh. I cannot go back. Yeah, I remember uh, getting that from Baskin Robbins, like a scoop of that, and my like my dad especially just being like, ugh. Yeah. And as a kid, I was like, I don't understand it. This is the best thing ever. And yeah. as an adult, I'm like, oh god. Oh, it's it's Robitussin with hard bits in it. Great. <laughs> it's yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but the, and I'm sure that like that that. R.A. Salvatore Dark Elf shit is like the bubblegum ice cream of literature. <laughs> yeah. Like, I won't I even go back and revisit them to find out. Like, just like I'm, you know, I don't think I'll ever rewatch Night Court because it must just remain perfect in my mind. Right. Yeah. You, it, you don't want it to be one of those shows that it turns out without you realizing you've outgrown it. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely true of The Nanny. No, no disrespect to Fran, but yeah, that is not a good show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You didn't know any better. I Um, did not. I really didn't. Yeah. So us bemoaning the one season of, of Briscoe County. um, On the other hand, uh, there's the potential second season that sounds like it would have been just terrible. The other thing is um, from behind the scenes, um, they talked about it was a seven day shoot per episode but it was seven days where, you know, they would wrap on, you know, they'd wrap an episode on Sunday night and then morning, Monday morning, they go into shooting the next episode. And to hear, TV, baby. You know, yeah, to hear the cast and, you know, the like the production crew talk about it when they found out they were canceled, it was met with an immense sense of relief. Yeah, like, I can get my life back. Yeah, that's exactly how Bruce Campbell puts it in his autobiography. And yeah. the and of course it's like a I mean, you know, it's like a celebrity autobiography written by an extremely 
funny guy. So it is light and breezy, but that is yeah. especially true of the Briscoe Kenny Jr. episode where it's plain that Bruce Campbell has real affection and love for this show, like it is his favorite role. But that's a hell of a light and breezy chapter because it's to you can tell that to him it's like a blur. And yeah. when it was over, he did kind of breathe a sigh of relief. He's like, oh, my God, like I'm not like on a TV production schedule anymore. I can I can breathe. Yeah, yeah, because because uh, one of the I think your your favorite actress who played Dixie would talk about. Yeah, you do like bit parts in other like you know crime dramas where it's a nine day shoot and it's people you know talking opposite sides of a desk like you aren't doing you know a, a period action on location movie on f- you know tv show shot on film mm-hmm. with like you know stunts and costumes and all this other shit like it is a lot it was a lot of work to make briscoe county jr work mm-hmm. and that we even got a season even like this kind of janky 18 episode 23 episode 28 episode season that we got that at all is kind of a miracle yeah and um i feel like um even in more welcoming times you know okay so like take it 10 years in the future 2003 uh i feel like briscoe county would have been like uh again beloved maybe two season show on like a cable network, you know, and take it, you know, another 10 or 15 years, like two seasons on Netflix. And it would have been, it probably would have looked more like the pilot because, uh, you know, the pilot pilots always look better than, you know, the actual production. Like uh, you do notice the shift between the pilot and the first regular season episode. Like you go from like, very nice like feature kind of lighting to like tv show lighting it's like a lot brighter it's not as it's not as big a drop off as mantis i will say that (laughs) (laughs) no they as as uh faithful listeners know they like fox really fucking did mantis dirty i don't think they had any confidence in it um yeah you know i mean and like tim very convincingly uh made the case like um you know, Briscoe County Jr. is not just like a, you know, like a white dude show. Like there is like a diverse cast and like people of color and like an important side roles. But, you know, same network, Fox, Mantis, like, you know, like the all black cast and like the overt political content is eh, it was a bridge too far for them. especially A, a little like, spicy, Jen would say. Yeah, especially like for a network that was also kind of grappling with in living color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't make a show that is nominally about the LA riots and just like air that and have <laughs> think everyone's going to be on board with it. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, like it's 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 fucking unfair because you know you heard it if you listen to our episode on Mantis. Like there was a lot of strong shit in that show, and like they did not keep it for the regular series run. Like Briscoe County was able to keep its essential character for much or all of that season yeah but yeah netflix would have canceled it in the second season right yeah so i mean my takeaway from it is that yes it it does still hold up we've gone over all the things that we like about it um you know dixie notwithstanding sorry jen (laughs) apparently um but i mean my takeaway from it ultimately is that nothing good can last 
That's true. Nothing gold can stay. Least of all a primetime network show starring Bruce Campbell. A primetime sci-fi western. Yeah. Or is uh, I've seen it described on on the internet a weird western. Yeah, I mean Weird West uh, fits. Um, this was three years before the Deadlands RPG, uh, which, yeah, which kind of uh, fed from the same trough. That I'll had a lot of great. That had a lot of great game mechanics in it. Um, I was nerdy as a teen, but n- believe it or not, not that nerdy. Well, this would have been around the same time as like the uh, like Werewolf the Apocalypse and Vampire the Masquerade, that World mm-hmm. of Darkness. Yeah, this is where um, I start like hitting the fade and audition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh-huh. it, it was. Yeah, it was a point where people were moving beyond uh, role playing. It's just um, you know Dungeons and Dragons. People were adding like more thematic uh, quirks to it, and well, in particular, did, um, Deadlands used a deck of cards as one of the game mechanics, which is pretty innovative. When did Vampire the Masquerade drop? Uh, I want to say that would have been earlier 90s. I want to say like maybe 92. So yeah. it would have been like around the same time as Briscoe County. But, you know, since, since you know, we're talking about like steampunk and, and uh, you know, like cynical, uh, you know, retelling of, of, you know, common tropes like, you know, Scream, that didn't happen until like 96. Um, you know, yeah. Steampunk stuff, you know, wasn't really happening around till like ninety nine. So yeah, was, uh, Briscoe County was was much earlier than all that. Yeah, a, a, a true forerunner. Yeah, uh, Vampire Masquerade is from nineteen ninety one. There you go. I'm gonna get back to watching more episodes of The Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they thread a lot of uh, of uh, season arc stuff through a lot of the episodes, and if you miss an episode, you're suddenly like. Well, how do we get here? But yeah, yeah exactly. It, it, yeah, just having all these parts come together—it's a really rewarding experience, and I like all the little jokes in it. And yeah, that it is a collection of all these, um, you know, fun influences. It just—it—it's a continual. It continues to be a joy to watch. Which, you know, if you can find it, I, I think it's on uh, Amazon streaming, um, some other services. I don't remember off the top of my head. Just pirate it. You won't regret it. Yeah, you can do that, too. Fuck Amazon. Yeah, for real. Yeah, they got enough money. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Jen. If you like that, why not check out our Patreon? We're at patreon.com slash this. And for a pledge of as low as $2 a month, you get a whole two extra bonus episodes a month. So check us out there at patreon.com slash this. Thanks again for listening, everyone.